But uh, it's interesting what, what both of you testify to is that there is a certain blurring of boundaries in terms of public-private. And I think it's worth remembering that you say that your collection here is within the framework of a foundation. And actually, that is precisely what has happened with the big National Museum of Art in Oslo, uh, where they have this mega museum, a big umbrella under which you have the historical National Gallery, you have the Museum of Contemporary Art, you have the Museum of Architecture, and I think uh, a design center as well. And this, which is sort of the, the core institution for historical and contemporary art, has been turned into a foundation. And of course there have been discussions in Oslo that this uh, means a different form of accountability for the citizens because they cannot, the way they could before, come and ask to see the official handlings and the detailed budgets and so on. Um, and that's what I am also curious about in your case, Charles, in, in Eindhoven. Uh, as a public institution, do you have, let's say, the, the space for maneuvering that, that you feel is necessary? Yeah, but it's a space which is contingent on the goodwill of the politicians, and I think that's extremely dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, what Van Abba has is a tradition from '36, or at least from '45. We can't really talk about the Second World War period, but at least from '45, where the politicians have stayed out of direct interference. But that possibility is always there. You know, and if we have you know, now the right is extremely strong as it is everywhere in, in, in northwestern Europe. And if we had a right-wing uh, organization, then projects that we're doing would simply not have a right-wing government. I mean, hard right, you know, mm -hmm. neo-fascist. Then, then actually you, we wouldn't be able to do the things that we were doing, I'm sure. And that, of course, is the problem with democracy. <laughs> Absolutely the problem with democracy. But I'm kind of um, uh, reluctantly prepared to deal with it. Um, not because I think that either public or private is better than the other, but I think because it's, it's, not, it's, it's not unnecessary, it's very English construction, yeah? it's necessary to, um, to, to have both. And actually I think that dealing with the politicians in my particular case, in Eindhoven in this case, works at least for the last 70 years reasonably well. Whether it will work well in five years' time, I don't know. You don't have that reliability. But equally, you have to say that when you're entirely reliant on a single person, for instance, not a corporation, but on a single person, that single person could also lose interest, and that's happened, um, and, or could take a different direction. Right. So you know, there's no freedom is always everywhere constantly negotiated, and there's no such thing as absolute freedom or autonomy in that sense, certainly not for an individual. Would you like to comment on that? No, I, I, I agree with Charles. I think it's, it's uh, I think what, what you said in your, uh, in your presentation is very interesting rather than, than, than trying to keep a very strong position that we are better than the private initiative. We should develop the idea of what, what can the institutions do by, by collecting in another way. And I think, of course, what you have is that you have uh, the trust and the accessibility towards the public in another way than a private. I mean, we, we, have, we have been here for 20 years. In the beginning, we were not as um, square feet, as large as we are today. But we have made a very conscious de decision to remain here, which some of you, and I'm extremely happy to see so many here tonight, but some of you will always consider going to Magazine 3 as somewhat of a, uh, a task, at least. Uh, 
project. A project. <laughs> and, but we have made this conscious decision, and we have over the years, I think, uh, periodically struggled, and we have struggled uh, internally by looking at each other after a massive amount of, of, of engagement and work and said, so where, where is the viewer? I mean, why are they not coming here? And then you have always 10,000 different explanations, uh, other activities and, and all of that. And, and of course, what you have in a public institution is that you have a history, a generational history of people coming there and wanting to recognize the paintings that they have seen for the last uh, 50 years, but they are also open to something else. Some of them. Some of them, <laughs> right. But and, I, and, and we have also tradition here. I mean, we have the, the institution, uh, the Kulturhuset here in Stockholm, which I think uh, has, has been so long in existence that it's come into fashion again somehow, um, which, which had, had when in its beginning, it really, I think, tried to, to present an idea of collecting to the public that was very different at the time from uh, Moderna Museet or the National Museum and so on. But we are, but we, we, we kind of love it here and we kind of love the, the difference of people coming into our hideous freight elevator, which will be hopefully upgraded. But you've actually already That's made great. it nicer. <laughs> we made it nicer, and, but, but also the fact that, that, that you feel that you are transformed into a place where, where we are extremely focused on, on you, the viewer. I mean, without the, the, the audience, without the people coming here and, and, and we trying to do as much as we can, uh, I think this, this project of Magazine 3 would not exist. Mm -hmm. But I th just, uh, just, just one thing, I mean, I agree mm -hmm. with, 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 um, with everything you say, so it, it's not to, to, to criticize or to, or to take that apart, but I, in, in, in the context of, a, of a, um, a, a populist politics, which we have in general now, um, there's often this question levied, I think, at every um, museum director at the moment about visitor numbers and about people mm -hmm. that come through uh, the door. And I think it's really important to understand that an institution like this and an institution like Van Aber, um, uh, the effect of those institutions is far greater than the numbers of individual flesh and body parts that come in through, through the threshold. Yeah, that actually, I think it's always an imaginative space. It's always a space which you can, even in your mind, allows a certain breath. I think an art gallery, an art, an art institution, allows that imaginative breath, that breathing space to take place. Even if you never go, if you live in Eindhoven and you never go, I still think the Van Aben Museum has an, has, has an influence on you, has a conceptual influence. <laughs> Has, has, a, has a, an influence of inspiration, an influence of possibility. The fact that it is there and that you might one day go means that your life is different that, from that the fact that it's not there the, at all. And the I think it's really important to defend mm -hmm. that possibility yeah. of the institution. But do you think that is different from the possibility of, let's say, going to the swimming pool, which is another type of public institution, or let's say going to the cinema, which is not a public institution, but which might be very popular? I think it privileges the imagination 
which I don't think a swimming pool does in the same way. I mean, I think you can use it just as you could use almost anything, this bottle, to construct your imagination. But I think the art institution privileges the imagination. I think that's its currency, whereas a swimming pool's currency is health, probably, or something like that. Um, and I think... And it, doesn't privilege um, financial exchange, even though you have to pay to go in, but I don't think it privileges it in the same way that a shopping centre does. And I think, if we're lucky, it privileges an idea of critical thinking, which is not something that, say, religion, like the church, privileges. Uh, so it privileges particular things, um, and it allows certain things to happen, which could happen elsewhere. I'm not, it's, not a, it's not a claim of exclusivity, but it's a claim of privilege. I would like to go back to, to step one and two, let's say, of, of collecting. First, uh, or maybe it's one and three or something. Uh, first, it's the actual purchase, how you go about. You've described it a little bit, but if you can elaborate on it, um, your relationship to galleries and how this might have changed uh, since the boom of the market over the last few years. And then the, the other step, whether it's number two or number three, which is the presentation of the collection or the display or the working with the collection. How do you actually make it come uh, alive? So maybe you want to start, Dario. Well, um, I think uh, over the years, of course, the, the, the primary relationship we have are, are always with the artists, but, but, uh, but the galleries are very much involved in this. You, it's, it's almost impossible to, to work with, with uh, artists that are, have come somewhere in their career without involving the galleries. On the, and, and Charles even said that initially, the galleries are taking more and more a kind of a public role by producing uh, catalogues. The, the, the very successful... Uh, um, what are you doing now? I'm showing. trying to show okay. something. So it seems a bit... <laughs> difficult to yeah. talk about how to show the, 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 the very successful of course uh, uh, artists have all uh, people working for them exclusively to see that so so that that is something um, but but we have always seen at magazine 3 our best ambassadors are the artists that we have worked with it's 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 quite common that when we think about an idea or or, or a presentation or an exhibition that we use in quote, uh, the artists that we had worked with in the past and kind of introduce uh, our institution if they don't know about it. Uh, then you had, an, you had another question. Yeah, mm -hmm. how do you make the collection come alive, so uh, to speak? That, how, that, how do you work with mm, it? Mm. Um, uh, that I find is, is, is and, and I started initially by talking about that, I think that's, that's a, a, a madly complicated aspect. I mean, uh, work that have a performative quality. We own a, 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 an enormous installations by the German artist John Bock, for example, what he, he, he made here years ago. And we have talked about it many times, how would you present it again? Um, all of those things. And of course, we don't have a space to expose part, uh, our collection. We have one room which we have on a kind of curatorial decision more and more started to talk about, and that's the room that is open tonight where we show some uh, graphic works by the Chapman brothers and by uh, the American artist John Curran. But in the past, uh, we have been somehow uh, dumbfounded by, by, by focusing on, on the current exhibition, the temporary exhibition. Uh, I'm, 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 
I'm, even though we don't have the space, I'm constantly struggling and, and, and thinking about what does it mean to have all these works in, in storage. Uh, we, we have a, a quite extensive lending program, uh, which is also very complicated. It takes a lot of time. Uh, we, we do a lot of lending all around the world. Um, but, but the issue of presenting work from a certain time that, that was a certain contemporary time and to make it understandable is, is, is very difficult. I, I was thinking about, Charles, when you talk about the, the Flick collection, regardless of all, all the kind of uh, added dimension of him lending the work to the, to, to, to the Hamburger Bahnhof and then exposing it and all of that. But I was there about a year and a half ago and saw the minimal collection with the Soluit and, and all of those and, and, and Blinky Palermo. And I've never seen such a dead exhibition in my life. <laughs> and, and Why was that? Because, uh, because because it was dead, because no one had spent any time of thinking about how will these works produced mainly in the 70s, how will they be shown uh, now? It, Contextualization. It, nothing. There was absolutely nothing. And it, was, it, was a, it was a bombastic presentation of, 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 of a trophy collection uh, in some aspects in depth. Some things didn't make sense at all, but it really felt dead. And, and for someone that me that also lived in the United States in the 70s and is, is passionate about this, it was a slightly traumatic experience to realize my God, if you, if you show this but you don't contextualize it, if you don't put it into something where you, where you um, let people collect it in another way, because they are now collecting the impressions of this exhibition, it's dead. And that danger uh, is, is, is there, and it's, and, and, and it's, it's really it's, it's, it's a challenge to find that. How do you go about? Um. Uh, well, the first one was about galleries, wasn't it? I just, yeah, no, actually about um, the purchasing and and, I mean, I, and I, how the commercial of, boom yeah, has I suppose, maybe I suppose or maybe not affected. one of the things that, that, that's quite new or that I'm, that I'm thinking about at the moment or trying to think about is that um, it, the, way, the way that you collect is basically determined by information flow. Yeah? It's the, the information about what artists you know and what artists you think are interesting that determine how you collect. So therefore, if you're going to try and collect differently, you're going to, you're going to try and collect rationally in, re in relation to an art market, which is absurdly uh, inflated now. Hopefully a bubble, but maybe not. We, I don't know enough about economics to know if this is true or not. But um, certainly, Peter Doig, selling for £5.7 million, I think, or euro, um, seems to me to not be of, um, you know, uh, uh, rational. Yeah, <laughs> no. uh, ra exactly. Seems not, to, seems to be fundamentally unreasonable. <laughs> and not that Peter Doig is not a good and interesting artist, but 5.7 million related to other value systems in the world. It's, it's problematic for me, also politically, I have to say. Um, but so the question is, could, could, uh, could there be other kinds of information flow? And the, the best thing that I can think about at the moment is to try and stop the current information flow. So therefore, I've told um, my colleagues, one of whom is here in this room, actually, um, that uh, we're not paying for them to go to art fairs anymore, very simply. And try not um, 
try and not rely on the gallery um, circuit as the main source of information, as the people that go and, if you like, dis discover artists. Artists have to be discovered in certain ways. But how could we start to create different flows of information? And I think one of the flows of information which has always been there, but maybe we can uh, quite um, deliberately emphasize it, is artist to artist and is working with the artists that you know and then seeing what they're interested in rather than working with certain galleries that you know and seeing what they're interested in. There's a very small change. I think it would, obviously there's a question of geography here and there's a question that, you know, going to Kazakhstan might be much more important than going to New York if you want to create a different kind of flow of information. Um, I think that there are, there are other ways which, which information could be, could be perverted, the flow of information could be perverted. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm interested in that, but it's quite early at the moment to, 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 to be able to express it because it's only something that I've recently seen. But I think it's if you can change the, the direction of flow of information, or at least you can change the roots of information, then you might get to somewhere else which is not controlled by the commercial market. I think if you don't change the flow of information, then you're going to be a victim of that, for mm. sure. And in terms of, of presentation, I know that you at FANABA have... Uh, at least two different programs. One is called Plug In, which is to do with inviting other people to work with a collection, um, mainly artists. This is, in a way, not a new thing. We remember maybe Hans Hacke working with a collection of uh, Boymans van Beuningen in Rotterdam ten years back. Uh, other people like Derrida working with the Louvre collection and so on. How, how do you do it? And is well, it different? And that's one thing. And the other thing is, I'm also curious about how you work with contextualization in relation to archival work. I mean, there are two, two initiatives that we've got. One is called Plugin, and one is called Living Archive, which is kind of catchphrases. Um, the, the Living Archive is, is, the museum has an incredible archive, um, which is related to the exhibitions, which had happened since 1936, but also to all the, all the works which have been collected. And then the whole penumbra of information which surrounds an individual artwork or a history of a museum that has been in existence for 70 years, which just happens to fall into the museum and gets lodged somewhere. So it's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary um, treasure chest, really, as much as the collection is a treasure chest, also the archive is. That archive was traditionally kept in the back stage area to be accessible to, to, uh, to, to, to um, researchers or to the staff itself. And we've tried through, through using small spaces in the museum. We have a peculiar architecture, some of which you might have seen, if you can see this, this screen. Um, and there are some small spaces which we can use, make use of to, to create what, what we call a living archive, which is a... Which is a fairly constant analysis of that material and it can be divided up historically so recently we've had an exhibition which looks at the 70 years and there's an object from the archive for each year and then there's a timeline which has um, world events, events in the art world and events in the Van Aver Museum as three kind of levels of information per year um, and it, you know, they're, they're a nice little uh, you know, there's a letter from, from Rudy Fuchs, who was an old director of the Van Aver Museum, um, to a, a gallerist, um, Mikhail Valner, um, pleading for um, a discount because the, the uh, uh, Eindhoven City Council would not uh, give him enough money to uh, fulfill all his commitments to purchasing work that he'd made to the gallery. Um, which, you know, I think for a visitor just kind of allows a certain humanness to come into the process of, of collecting, which otherwise is always this authoritative uh, um, wall of, of, uh, of correct choices, you know, because 
you know, ein Mal ist kein Mal, so you've, you've made the, the choice of the work, so it must be right, because there's nothing to compare it with, in a sense, particularly for visitors. So this gives a kind of sense of the, of the human story behind that. There are many other examples of material like that, from, you know, the visit of the, uh, the National Socialist Movement in 1943 to the museum, where there was a National Socialist f uh, folk exhibition in, in, in the Van Aven Museum, um, which actually, from the few photographs that remain, it was actually quite interesting. It kind of looked like a Jeremy Deller installation or something. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's important when you walk around the museum, I think, to have that memory that that was what happened there and understand what it represented, you know, something extremely wrong at one time. So maybe we're extremely wrong now. We don't know, but we should be a little bit less secure, perhaps, than often museums are. So that's the Living Archive. And the other one is Plug-in, which is the attempt um, to... I mean, in a sense, it began with the question, how do you make the Picasso speak to us today in the radical way in which it spoke to us when it was painted. How do you, how do you, how do you try, because I don't think you can ever really succeed, but how do you at least try not to turn it into a dead icon, but try to indicate its radicality, its alienation? Because it's full of alienation, yeah, Picasso? And, and that's lost. That notion of alienation is really lost in the work. It's a confirmation of a nice, quiet, modernist history these days, I think, to many people. And it's like, wow, that's a Picasso, you know, sort of religious form of pseudo-religious recognition or whatever. And, um, and so, so we thought about that. So for instance, we work with artists, which I don't think is a new, new thing to do at all, I completely agree, but we work with an artist called Pavel Buchler, a Czech artist, um, who'd done a, a sound piece for a, a Biennale that I organized in Istanbul. And um, it was a quotation of Kafka. There's actually some images here, but I don't think I can find them. It was a, a, a piece... Um, coming out of huge trumpet uh, loudspeakers um, of a section from the castle of, of Kafka, which said uh, the section which goes something like, um, you, are, um, you are not from the village, you are not from the castle, you are nothing. In fact, you are worse than nothing, you are a stranger. Um, and, uh, and this was then repeated as a text in a room which had the classical work from the 19... 10s to 1930s, which was full of this fragmented, alienated images of that period, cubism, art historians call it, but it's basically about fragmentation of images and alienation. And this sound which comes in from the contemporary moment, I think it was very annoying for people because people wanted to contemplate these paintings in silence. And the fact that there was this sound which also had a kind of um, socialist um, choir playing something close to the Internationale, it wasn't, but you know, that interrupted the sound, the, the, the space for a moment, kind of set people's teeth on edge. And there are other plugins where we've invited guest curators from, say, Korea, <coughs> uh, uh, Kim Hunjin, to show a, a work where she juxtaposed a, a Dan Flavin piece, which is a series of circles um, of neon. It's a very ordered piece which sits in the corner, for those of you that might have seen it. Oh, it's gone to sleep now, sorry. Um, anyway, the, the, a series of circles of, of neon, and opposite that on the other, other wall is a, is a collection of, from our drawing collection, of a completely un, undeclared crowd in a way, and she's kind of uh, counterpointing the modernism of this regulated series of, of repeated uh, units, which are the circles of light, with this kind of postmodernist picture of, of, of chaotic mess, but still being a crowd. And of course, the, 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 the trick in a way is that that she's changed the architecture as well to disturb it a little bit, but also the light from the Dan Flavin is lighting the paintings, the, the drawings. So in other words, the drawings, this, this postmodernist incoherent crowd, unavowed crowd, if you like, is, is, uh, is, is visible only through the lens of 
this modernist practice of, of, of uh, um, equal and, and, uh, and alike units. Um, there are many other examples as well. And, uh, we but you have do them fairly frequently. Yeah, the idea is the it's, it's called plug-in because each, each room in the museum is a different plug-in, so it's a different story. So it's a bit like kind of zapping in some senses. You go from one room to the other, so there's no sense of a coherent art history. You go from a Kazakh photographer to the room with Picasso to um, the, the room that I talked about at the moment, for instance, to a room where Lily van der Stocker has, has um, um, designed a wallpaper and a carpet, a kind of chaotic room, really, in which we... She, together with uh, the head of the collection, chooses certain um, uh, works by women artists who are not represented. So we've had videos from Martha Rosler and, and, and Andrea Zittel and a painting by Mary Harman will come up and um, Valley Export and things like that, which are presented in this room with chairs that she also chooses. So it's kind of an environment which is also an environment to present her work. And there's lots of other things. Lizitsky with Demantas Narcovicius, which is kind of about the beginning and end of the, of the great European experiment in communism. Well, at this point, I think it would be interesting to hear if there are questions and comments from the floor. Yes? Well, I've been trying to think what do you actually then as institutions have in common? If we have such a um, time difference, uh, time frame of the collection, and also the fact I assume that one of the museums is located quite centrally, in Eindhoven as opposed to what Magazine 3 is, and also in the cultural uh, and historically important building. Um, well, there you're absolutely wrong, of course. <laughs> you, were, you, were, you were half right. I mean, uh, uh, in, in terms of, of geographic location, and now I have, I, I of course, invited this question, but the distance from, from a centrally located play, place like Norman's Tory to Magazine 3 and then make a circle, you see that we, we, we are not so far out. Uh, also, this, these kind of historically landmark buildings where are, you are right now from the 1930s. Uh, you, but your question started, what, what, what is the, the kind of connection? And when I hear Charles talks about the plug-in and so on, uh, we are, of course, approaching these aspects when it comes to the collecting. There are certain differences, and, and, uh, and Charles was talking about the kind of danger or scare or, for the moment, uh, a certain level of calmness by having politicians being really the chairman of the board. Uh, funding, uh, Maria didn't ask how much your operational funding was, but, but you're collecting... Four million, so it's much more than yours. Four million uh, euros. Huge bureaucracies. Yes, because you have a... <laughs> That's socialism. Okay. <laughs> and then, but then you have 500,000 euros in, in... For the collection. For the collection. So it's the reverse. So it's a little different. Um, but, but what I wanted to say is, of course, that, that, that we, are, we are approaching uh, the aspect of how, how, you, how you look at the collection of Magazine 3 or how you look at the history of Magazine 3. And, and I, I was talking about this first room. I also want to actually give a, a plug for, for Jim's room, which is in this little uh, tiny corridor outside a permanent piece that has been at Magazine 3 since 1994 or 95 by James Turrell. And in that room, it's actually our kind of um, 
mental release for the curators that work here at Magazine 3, that we uh, do small uh, presentations with different angles. Uh, we showed uh, a couple of weeks ago Janet Cardiff, uh, a piece that had to do with uh, an interpretation of Jimi Hendrix, uh, and it had to do with the Vietnam War. And now we have one of our uh, trusted um, co-workers that has been here for many years, Johan Turfjell, that is a Swedish uh, artist, and he's showing uh, a piece which is, is his take or his thoughts about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And that is kind of an, an, a prelude to an exhibition which you are all invited to that opens March 17th, which is, uh, has the title Fleeing Away from What Bothers You Most, which is uh, co curated by, by our, one of our associate curators and shows art from, from, the, from the Middle East, from the Palestinian and Israeli sites and from French. And, and we can go on. So we, we, I think uh, the similarities by running uh, an institution that wants to have a dialogue with, with contemporary life are, are much, much greater than the differences. And that's why it's kind of wonderful to meet colleagues, uh, whether they are from Eindhoven or from the other side of the world. What, what I, I'm slightly jealous of and what we're, where Magazine 3 has not had the possibilities or maybe not even the resources is of course to go further away. I mean to go to, you were talking about, you, did you mean to Kazakhstan? You said rather to go to, to the armory, you should go to Kazakhstan. And of course that, that, is, that is a very interesting aspect. I mean whether we think that we are in we know we are in the periphery, and we have for, for years, and, and, but once in a while Stockholm as, as an art scene seems not to be in the periphery. And maybe for the moment in Stockholm right now you have a range of, of curated exhibitions, which is quite uh, astonishing uh, compared to, uh, uh, it's a capital city, but it's a quite a, not a very big city. So I think, uh, I, I think the, the, the similarities and the kind of ideas and how you and how you work uh, the ideas of communicating with an audience is 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 very much uh, uh, more more alike than than not. Or do you have any comments? No, no, no. I, I, no, I think that's but that's that's basically true. I don't. Know. I mean, the differences are so much based on history as well that that it's 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 also you know what what what. I'm trying to do, we're trying to do in, in Van Abbe Museum is based on the possibilities that exist there in that place. It's not really a model or for anything else, I don't think. It, it's, it's, it's specific. And, um, and, and yet, of course, there's an interest in art and art's connection to the world, which I think is completely shared, I would imagine. Um, but, you know, if, 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 if David was in Eindhoven and I was here, I think we would do very different things than... than then I, then I would do very different things here, maybe much closer to David than I do in Eindhoven, and maybe you would do things closer to what I'm doing. It's not about a kind of conflictual models or agonistic models, I think. It's more to do with the specifics of a, of a place and a history. Yes? Funding to fill in gaps uh, in the uh, collection and specifically. 
I mean, it depends what the particular history. I mean, uh, we have a, a, a horrible um, misrepresentation uh, 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 or, or, or lack of balance between female and, and, and male artists. We also have huge geographic imbalance as well, which I think is also important. You know, we're basically in our collection North European with a little bit of the South um, and North American, and that's it. You know, a very, very provincial part of the world, actually, a very small part of the world, but which claims always, as, as the European tradition has done since the Renaissance, universalism. Um, so I think, I think, for me, the, the way to address that largely is through um, looking forward and ensuring that from now on geographic gender um, uh, balances are taken, are taken into account. I think in a way this rewriting of history, you could argue, is, is, a, is a rewriting of history which, which, which could be seen as problematic because it's also not acknowledging the fact that there's a change in the way that we think about um, relation, the, the gender relationships, for instance, or power relationships through gender um, in the 1970s or at a certain point. Um, and uh, and, and th there's an argument to say that, th that I would maintain, at least for the Van Abbey Museum, that filling in gaps kind of distorts the, the, the reality of a history which maybe is, it's good to preserve as long as you self-consciously and critically respond to it. But a self-conscious critical response, for me anyway, is at the contemporary moment and not to look back at history so much. Yeah, so not to change, not to rewrite history, but to try and write the present in a way which is, which is, which is more politically attuned. I think that's a very good question and I would like to add a footnote to that which is actually to do with what you say that a particular form of collecting or a particular form of programming at a particular time of course is a document in and of itself mm. Uh, we tend to think about the 60s at the Moderna Museet as the time of, of Ponte Sultien, but of course there was uh, a group of curators who worked on these exhibitions with him, many of whom were really seminal in terms of coming up with ideas, in terms of carrying them through and so on. And now when, when this initiative has come at Moderna Museet, we should also remember that uh, there is a lot of, uh, let's say, lobby work internally within a museum like Moderna in order to make something like this happen, in order to open and the eyes of also people within the institution that this is actually the case with misrepresentation uh, and that it, um, it hopefully leads to a sort of uh, changed path for the future the way that, that you're describing it in terms of collecting from now on. I mean, the, problem, the, the only problem with rewriting is that it's a little bit easier than, than writing the present. <laughs> in the sense that, you know, if you talk about like Agnes Martin or, um, I, I can't remember who else... Frida Kahlo or whatever, they're kind of confirmed within art history. Yeah, so, so although they were not represented at the time, they're confirmed within art history now. So in that sense, you could say it's... A, it's, it's I don't know what the background is to this situation. I, I don't um, know what's happening here. But I, I'm just thinking about my own position. I would, I would think that's also slightly the safe option. And that, and that, and that, that because they're already confirmed, and actually maybe what... what would be interesting would be to see how would you go forward with a policy which would be gender aware, if you like, or geographically aware. I think that's another important aspect. And I think when talking about the differences 
uh, with another museum and magazine, so you were also talking about uh, yourself, like Charles Tesha and David Dorman. And I was thinking, what would happen if Charles Tesha would be here and uh, David Dorman would be? And I know, so maybe the question should be clarified as who is deciding for whom? I mean, or who is collecting for whom? Like, we were talking about this public interest and private uh, decisions. Then maybe. Uh, question should also be transformed into this institutional critic. I mean, for both of your institutions, is there any budget or room for this kind of work? I mean, uh, living uh, archive and plugging somehow related to discussing this, but naturally, uh, what do you think about this? I mean, I think, I think the Living Archive and Plugging are related to that. I mean, we recently, for instance, in the Living Archive acquired a, 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 a a library from a foundation called the Gate Foundation, which was um, dedicated to representing um, non-Dutch Dutch artists, non-Dutch non origin Dutch artists, uh, and that was cancelled by the government for various you know, fairly obvious reasons. Um, and uh, and we took over the library, and and then we made a project where we publicly um, assessed from their library what was already in the Van Avon Museum and what what wasn't and put that on display. Basically, it's difficult to explain, but, but it was obvious when you went into the room that this pile of books was going to be, wasn't in the, in the library and this pile of books was. And in a sense, that was, that was a sort of um, institutional critique of what our library had represented in the past and what the Gate Foundation Library and how those two either, either matched or didn't match. Um, so I think there are, there are certain, certain aspects which are, you know, Dangerously Stalinist notion of self-critique in, <laughs> in 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 the museum. Um. Uh, we 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 are of course uh, um, in the beginning of, of 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 our journey somehow. And 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 so, for example, you were talking about the library. I mean, what what we did here uh, by by allowing a, a good portion of our reference library, uh, we realized that that um, we wanted to share this with the with the public. And and it has kind of worked out quite nicely, and 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 um, I think once in a while you kind of forget uh, because you you live and and you have access to all of this material all day long that for a public it's kind of wonderful to to also be a part of 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 this. Um, I. Um, we, we have purposely not created any any books or any anything about the collection, and this is one of the this is the, the key topic tonight, and I, I can't answer why we haven't done it. Uh, I'm 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 terrified about it because I know that the moment uh, the last page in this book is being printed, it's in, inaccurate uh, because uh, a collection or a collection of ideas is is constantly changing. Uh, and uh, but the demand or or people ask uh, us uh, daily, uh, where is your book? I mean, what can we where, where can we see all these images and everything? And it's 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 also uh, at this point a conscious decision not not to do it. I I, I just wanted to add one thing. But where we have made uh, because we haven't talked about which I think is important about. Uh, Magazine 3's relationship to the national scene. And that's really where we have made uh, a change. When we started in the beginning, uh, and you can see that in, in, in the catalogs we have produced, it had very much to do with an international perspective. Uh, 
slightly primitive in the beginning, maybe very much uh, North American based or European based and so on. And then over the years, we have changed it. But we also realized, uh, which I think is important about the collecting and it's important about an institution, that you have to have uh, a supportive and, and a dedicated relationship to, to the national art scene. Uh, otherwise, the institution will, will somehow, I think, lose some of its importance in a, in a discourse uh, when, in life in, in, in Stockholm, in, in my situation. And uh, that's why we, over the years, have, have uh, uh, periodically made uh, presentations of uh, artists from, from, from Scandinavia, but primarily from Sweden. And we have also supported projects which not, didn't necessarily uh, became visual at Magazine 3. And I just wanted to say that as, as, because I'm, you, you started to talk about Dutch artists and this library. And I just wanted to mention that, that that for me is, is, is an important. And maybe we have even be there more, more, how should I say, more generous in one way because we have engaged ourselves in projects which I don't think would have happened uh, because they were really uh, very little about any kind of, of collecting dimension. They were more about supporting idea or, or ideas and, and realizing that, that uh, a national art scene, a Swedish art scene, even though currently it's kind of booming, whatever that means, uh, has, 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 uh, the, the highs are not as high, but the lows are even sometimes lower than, 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 than the real lows. <laughs> so that's what we have done and, and always tried to do it with a high level of in integrity, but also realizing that it's important for for um, the national scene to be able to, to, to have great dreams and sometimes also uh, really complete them and, and try to visualize them. Yeah, well, I guess one could say that inofficially, particularly during the 90s, Magazine Trier was more of a national collection uh, in terms of, of purchasing contemporary work than Moderna Museet because it was not uh, one of its most uh, flourishing periods. Mm. It seems as if an online version of something like a catalog would not be a bad idea here. No, you I know, know, you can change. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, we are. We uh, are. We and are. therefore, I wonder what you think of what Charles talked about earlier in terms of open source and, and uh, creative commons and so on in relation to collections. You have to. You have to. Specify your question. Well, uh, uh, different types of licensing, which means that it is not copyrighted, which means that, for instance, with uh, Creative Commons, that you would, uh, as an artist, have your name under it as the or origin, but then you allow other people to use it as long as they credit you. Mm. No, I think I think. Oh, I mean, I'm. I'm I'm, I, I feel my age when I'm, 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 I'm thinking about these, these ideas of, of, of in the art, but I, I'm, 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 I totally understand it. I mean, I understand what you're going in, and I think for me, the, the, even though I won't review this evening, but when Charles talks about the fact that, that one shouldn't be uh, protectionistic about, about the collecting, and you should ra rather see other ideas of collecting which we uh, historically have not labeled as collecting, I think that's, that is, it's, it's very, very interesting. And I think, of course, when we talk about 
art worlds or art scenes. There are lots of parallel art worlds and art scenes that are existing all the time. And I think one of the big challenges is maybe just to, to, to try to be informed, and that's uh, periodically very difficult. And that's why you need uh, great uh, co-workers uh, and, and some extremely young ones that, that are updated on these things. I, I just wanted to come back very briefly. I'd, one, one thing that you said is, is uh, about um, you know, pe the people making the decisions and that the differences are. You know, I mean, I do think art is embodied. I do think it is about people. And, and, and I think that's a good thing about it. And you know, certainly the history of Van Abra is the history not only of the directors but of the curators or other colleagues which have worked in it. Um, and I don't think we should be ashamed of that. I mean, when I'm talking about the public interest, it's not to say that the public interest is disembodied. It's not an abstract notion. I mean, I embody it. That's what I mean. And that's terrifying, but true. It's a big question, and I think it's one that is that is that is not possible to answer definitively. But I think there are certain tools that you can call upon to try and unpack what you said or try and understand it. And I'll call on one, which is 
very familiar to you, probably to other people, and it's hospitality, or at least radical hospitality. And that, and that is, in Derrida's terms, saying yes. yes. Say yes to who or what turns up. So when you say, are things possible? Then yes, but there has to be a demand. There has to be somebody who's prepared to come and run the restaurant. And that's what doesn't happen. It's not that we say no, it's that it doesn't happen. So there isn't a guest to, to whom we can be hospitable. That's the real problem in that, in that equation. Yeah? So it seems to me that how do you create the possibilities where that kind of hospitality would be made real in a museum, as of course it has to be made real in, 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 in the European Union or whatever, because people are knocking on the door. But in the museum, they're not. Um, how, how, can you, how can you create that? And I think that question relies on the changing in the structures of the museum while remaining hospitable to demands from outside. So I think open source is a change in the structure, which then hopefully in this spirit of letting loose, yeah, letting go, starts to create demands which we can then receive hospitably. And I don't know whether you can predict those demands. You can't predict the demands of the guest. That's what's beautiful about it. But you have to be, if you're genuine about that, prepared to go as far as Derrida does, which is to say that eventually you have to leave your own house and give it to the guest. And that's the only meaning of hospitality that has any real value, is that you have to go to that point. But it's no good me saying, yes, somebody can come and run the restaurant. If nobody wants to do it, I have to do it. You know, and if nobody wants to work for me, I have to physically serve the coffee. Yeah? It's only because I have money to pay somebody to serve the coffee that they do it. And, 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 and there are certain realities, of uh, economic realities and realities of time, which means that that kind of radicalism could only happen when the structures in wider society would be different, or when we've created the, the, the possibilities of that kind of demand because we've changed our protocols internally. So I think open source is about changing our own protocol of what might happen, but then you have to let it go and wait for who or what turns up. So at this point I would actually like to address a final question to both of you and it might be revisiting some of the things you've already said, perhaps in a heightened way. What is the biggest challenge for you working with collections right now? What is the most urgent, what is the most burning um, issue, let's say. David. Um, to work with the collection, which is, as I said initially, which is the kind of memory bank over all these years that we have done. And, and as Charles said, these uh, objects, because most of them are objects, there are some certificates and some ideas <laughs> in the drawers, they are, of course, um, very much connected with, with uh, human flesh and blood. I mean, these are relationships, and they, these relationships are, are linked to memories and, and, and situations here at Magazine 3 and so on. And my biggest challenge is how, how, do, you, um, how do you present this in the future? How do you communicate with this kind of collection in the future so it makes sense and it doesn't only become uh, an, uh, uh, once in a while a successful icon and once in a while uh, just a uh, something that people won't recognize. And that is uh, an enormous challenge because it has to do with is this something that, that we are fitted to do? Should we 
just have uh, 50 trucks and send it over to Moderna Museet or should we send it to Fanabe or what should we do with it? And, and you know, we all get happy when we once a year or every uh, twice a year or, or every second year makes this spring cleaning because it's somehow wonderful, you know, to give away old clothing and this and that and you walk into a room and it looks so nice and oh, you feel. And, 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 and we have just the last couple of days moved certain storage facilities and, and our technicians here came back to me today and they said, my God, what we have things, you know, we have, we have 20,000 catalogs. And I say, no, that's not possible. It's, yes, we do, because we haven't sold very many catalogs. And, and what should we do with all of this? And, and that's my biggest challenge. It's, it's truly not uh, uh, being able to, uh, to, uh, uh, to acquire. It's, it's, it's from the collecting side, it's not about it's acquisition. More about contextualization. Totally. And it seems to me that uh, actually a new era has begun at Magazine Trier with this lobby. Do you remember what kind of bunker-like space this was? And yes. you have even managed to have something that, that resembles daylight. I think this is really an interesting development here. And I must congratulate you. It works super well, I think. Thank you. Um, what was the question? Sorry. The, the collection. Biggest the challenge. Collection. The biggest, the, the biggest challenge is intellectual, for me, intellectual copyright, intellectual property, and what that means for a collection. Because I think basically, you know, we have, in, in museums collect objects, and they're kind of meaningless now. I mean, pretty much, because most things, and, and now everything's about intellectual property, um, and will increasingly become so. So how do we collect, how do we deal with that? And how do we create the structures where copyright is not an issue and is not vested in corporations or, or vested in, in galleries, which increasingly is, rather than individual artists? And how could, could it be vested in, 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 in the public interest? How could there be a public kind of copyright or copy left? Um, that's, that, that, I think, is the biggest challenge. Or, or, um, the other challenge or the other really exciting thing, because that's a kind of technical question to some extent, though I think it has huge implications for what you collect and what you conserve as well, all those questions. You know, conservation is very interesting when you start to talk about um, the question of intellectual property as, as what the artist gives to you. Um, and the other, and the, and the really exciting thing, because I really don't know about it, are two things that I've said. One is, is how do you change the information flow so that it doesn't come through the galleries, but it starts to come through other ways, uh, or through the commercial sphere, um, and then afterwards goes to the galleries. And I'm not cutting out the galleries. I'm saying, where does it originate? Um, and the other thing is, how do you collect relationships? I guess <laughs> that's what I'm kind of really interested in as a as a as a concept. How would you create relationships? How would you collect? and curate relationships. Um, it all sounds interesting, and I think we at Jaspis might have a reason to come back to you later because we're doing a project uh, entitled Who Makes and Who Owns Your Work, which is actually precisely about different forms of licensing of uh, artistic work, which is an open source format that takes the form of meetings once a month in spring, and then hopefully we will make some kind of bigger event after the summer where this is uh, talked about in various ways. So I it's all come. in the air somehow, yeah, and we will probably need listen. your, uh, <laughs> your expertise and, and also <laughs> questions uh, for, for that. Thank you very much, uh, David, Charles, and thanks to the audience. And before you put your hands together, <laughs> I would like to say that you're warmly welcome to Marabu Parken, the 21st of 
the 23rd of March, which is a Friday, where the final part of the series Tendencies in Time will take place. Uh, mobility, how do residencies affect artistic production? And thanks once more, Magazine Trier, for allowing us to do this collaboration and make it happen at Magazine Trier. Thank you. Thank you.